In the watch enthusiast universe, the watch enthusiasts are represented by two separate yet equally unimportant human beings. KC, who has nothing, and John John, who knows nothing. This is their podcast. The KC and John John Show! Hello everybody, and welcome to the 29th inaugural episode of... Casey and John John. That's right. <laughs> That's right, everybody. We've made it one. There's one more episode to go to our inaugural 30th episode. Yes. Which is absolutely fantastic. It's actually half, half, so half a year since we started doing this nonsense. A little bit more, I think, right? Um. A yes, year has, yes, that's right. I want to say 52 weeks. Yeah, that's so, true. I yeah. mean, I am i don't know much about time and how it works. Foreshadowing. But, Foreshadowing, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it, it definitely is a bit of a milestone yeah. for us as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we passed that milestone a couple of weeks ago, I guess. Yes. Without I even guess. realizing it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's right. Cause, cause, time's uh, not linear. Yeah. It, it doesn't work that way in the Casey yeah. and George Van universe. It does not. Also, yeah. we skipped a week, right? So, yes, technically, that's true. technically, this is the 30th week. Yes. Yeah, true. Technically. But that it's not true. the 30th episode. So. Yeah, a very important 30th episode. Yeah. So, so welcome to our inaugural 30th week of podcasting, I yes. guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, once again, thanks for giving us your full attention for every hour or so that we have been doing for the past mm -hmm. 28 episodes and now into our 29th. Yep. And if you have any complaints about anything that we have said or, or done, mm -hmm. um, first of all, fuck you and <laughs> direct all your complaints to Marshall at Marsh Kai. On Instagram. On Instagram. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, so I've I've been thinking about it. So it, it started like, if you had legal issues, right? Yeah. Directed to Marshall, but I'm beginning to think like if you have a moral issue, yeah, an ethical issue, yeah, or even just like a difference of opinion, yeah, and you know like our feed our motto has always been positive feedback yeah. only. So if you have any negative feedback, just just send it to Marshall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, There's a reason why he adopted us. It's to shield yes. us from harm. He also has about like 10 brain aneurysms right now. <laughs> thanks thanks to all this <laughs> shit that we've been doing. <laughs> but hey, that's I mean that's the that's the point of being a parent, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You take the good with the bad, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, let's dive right into our first weekly segment of the week. Mm -hmm. Which is our cliche corner. Yes. And our cliche of the day is... The design language. Yes. And uh, shall, shall I talk about design language or do you want to take this? Well, you know... Being the architect. Being, being the architect that I am. I, mean, yeah. I, I can't say architect. Graduate architect. Arch architecture degree holder. Yes. Architecture yeah. degree holder. Yes, that's um, that's what you are. That's what I am. <laughs> but yes, T tell so, us more. Um, 
Are you familiar with the song Language of Love by Ilvis, the band that gave us What Does the Fox Say? Yes. Yes. So design language is kind of like the language of love, where a certain design speaks to you and touches you in a way that you have never been touched since you were five by your uncle. Oh, no. (laughs) That's... Oh, boy. You've gone off the deep end very quickly here. (laughs) <laughs> sending complaints to Marshall again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, look. Yes. What is an actual I, design? I, f- I, feel, I feel that this is... Mm-hmm. So this cliche is obviously used in anything that has to do has with design. design. Yep. So it's not necessarily watch-related. No. But, but there are... Hmm? I think there are some particularly bad examples of brands using the word design language. I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, but, but with with design, like okay, desi- I would say designers, mm-hmm. and I think architectures are particularly uh, <laughs> particularly particularly um, shit. I can't find a word for this because English is not my f- first language. <laughs> um, guilty. Fuck. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> particularly guilty of this. Uh huh. Um, where whereby using very flowery language to describe something very simple. Is such that as, what design language is? Uh, I'll get there. Right, go ahead. Uh, such as uh, fenestrations. Right, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just say windows. My One of my favorite words, though, mm. is defenestration. <laughs> Which, like, the first <coughs> time I heard that word, it was like... um. It was something like a, I, I can't remember what exactly it was, but it was something like a, some some kind of assassination or something, yeah, and then yeah. this this person was He's defenestrated. De- defenestrated, yeah. And I was like, Crush. wait, what? <clears throat> defenestrated? Was he like? <sighs> is that like, you know, like he was disemboweled? He was, uh, yeah. you know, like all all those kind of of like physical torture and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So I was like, what the hell is defenestrated? Then I googled it, and he was like. Oh, to throw someone out a window and like, what? Yeah. Like, did you really need words? Was it ever so common? Yeah. That they decided like, no, throwing out of the window is too long. We need a word for that. Yeah. Yeah. This person was defenestrated. Yeah. Yeah. Since since then, it's just been one of my favorite words up there with like Schadenfreude. Cool. And uh, uh, what's your name? Anthropomorphization. Which is another one of my favorite words. Cool, but yes. Yeah, so so beyond... so so where I'm getting at is that there mm-hmm. are all these flowery languages that you know people in the design industry love to use. But mm-hmm. um, on the other side, the thing is using your designs to speak. So yeah. in architecture, we like when it's like when you when you when you see a particular design, you know exactly who has designed this or what brand has designed. This thing. Mm-hmm. So if you talk about architecture, um, I don't know Frank Lloyd Wright, for example, because he was mm-hmm. like one of the masters that I had to study when I was doing that. So like sure. very geometry based design designs. Uh-huh. Um, Ando Tadao, for example, very yep. specific uses of of concrete mm-hmm. uh, and the interplay of of spaces and light. Yep. Then you know if we're talking about cars, like when you when you see when you see a BMW, you know exactly that's a BMW without having to look at 
Mm-hmm. The especially nowadays and also and also because like the people driving it are cunts and you know exactly yo. how they're driving it oh look no signal indicators yeah bmw weight weight saving option oh, drive driving much faster than they're supposed to yeah it, yeah yeah sure fair enough you, yeah, you can tell exactly uh also you know like it, it used to be two small kidney grills so like yeah. from far and away now it's like, like is that is that yeah. two kidney grills and then now it's just yeah. like two huge ones now so beaver teeth yeah, yeah. Well, de- yeah. it depends on the new ones, yes. But yeah. I was going to say that design language, you know, in the other way of, of uh, like like you mentioned with all the architects and stuff, it's also definitely uh, very involved in cars. Yeah. Um, I think Porsche especially is especially guilty of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, they really have a design language and they stick to it. Yeah. Since, well, I want to say 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, until now, it, it really has been just iterative design changes, especially with the 911, yeah. rather than, you know, wholesale changes. And, you know, the same, of course, can be applied to Rolex, our favorite Yeah, brand. exactly. I mean, the moment you see an, a particular case with a particular bracelet, you're like, mm-hmm. yes, that's that's quite clearly a Rolex. Yeah. Um, or, obviously, you know, obviously of, or a fake. Yeah, or one of the many homages. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... The, the weird thing is um, there, Rolex, that design language has become so quintessential, mm-hmm. especially with like dive watches, the Submariner, right? Yeah. Um, it, it has become so common. It's become the archetypal uh, dive watch, basically, yeah. that a lot of brands copy. But you never see that in cars, though. No one's gone out and made like, oh, this is a typical sports car, like the 911, and then they made a car that looks exactly yeah, like yeah. it. But somehow in watches, that's acceptable, which is a little weird. I don't know. But I, I think it's a good thing, though. I wouldn't want a Miata that looked like a 911 or, yeah. a, you know, like a Z4 or a Supra that looked like a I mean, a, Mia- a, a Miata and a 911 are competing in two completely different... Um, so so is a Invicta points. Pro Diver and a Rolex Submariner. That's true. And yet they look, you know, pretty much the Yeah, same. yeah. So, yeah, I'm just glad that didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, somehow in the world of watches, um, copying someone else's design language seems to be a lot more acceptable. But yeah, it, it's definitely beyond, you know, like design language being like a crutch that a lot of brands depend on. Um, it's also a very commonly used marketing term. Mm-hmm. And in reviews as well, actually, mm-hmm. which I, to be fair, nowadays are mostly marketing pieces. But you know, they'll go like, "Oh, this this latest watch, uh, the the design language really flows, or it's like really, uh, it, it's there's a lot of harmony in the design language." Yeah, and from it's just like, like from a brand that's like a, maybe a couple years old. Yeah, um, it's in, a lot of fluff a, to say that way, watch looks good. In a way, like okay, let's go with Ming for example. It's a very it's a very new brand. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't even say relatively new. It, it is a very new brand, but it like is. when you see it, you know it's a Ming. That's true. And I would say that's that true. it's a good example. Like if you're gonna say design language, that's a very good example of, true. of it. Um, sort of... Whereas whereas if you're gonna say something like, uh, fuck, I don't, I don't know. Give me give me a, a micro brand for example. What whatever Honestly? micro brand. I, then, I was going to say notice. Yeah. Because they don't really have a design language, mm-hmm. if you ask me. Right? 
Mm. There, there's nothing unifying amongst all their models. Mm-hmm. The only thing that... I, I have spoken to Wes and Cullen about this as well. And I did ask them, like, have you ever thought about, you know, like sort of integrating one design element in all of your watches? Yeah. So that you have a cohesive design language. Yeah. Right? And, and like, if you look at a watch, you'd be like, oh, it has this. It's a notice. And they said that, no, their, their main concern is making it look good. Yeah. And if they feel that that particular design doesn't necessarily work for the watch, they'll just ditch it and they'll just start from... Which scratch. is also fair enough. I mean, yeah, even even brands like Jeje Lecoute, for example, mm-hmm. what is the quintessential Jeje Lecoute watch? And you would probably say the reverso because it's so iconic. Right. But everything else in the range is like... Totally different. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, the, the reverso is almost like... Um, Oh, what's that? Um, it's like the equivalent of zombies for the cranberries. <laughs> it's like their most famous yeah, design, yeah. but there's a lot of other good ones yeah. that n- nobody really pays that much attention to. I I would probably say more like Smells Like Teen Spirit. No, uh, I was going to say it's like zombies because all the other songs from the cranberries are extremely different. Okay. In the same way that Zombies is also not at all representative of the sort of music that the Cranberries released. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I get what you mean as yeah. well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's our thoughts on design language. <laughs> <laughs> we went to cars. To, to, um, to be fair, it, it sounded a bit of yeah. like a gripe. It, it did, it actually. Did, but like, moving on to our... Um... But, but the phrase design language is a cliche. Yeah. Yeah, so we have a within, within with all kinds of like design related industries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like our actual gripe of the day at, mm-hmm. for our friendies, gripers, garage mm-hmm. is essays on a dial. Yeah, sometimes not even essays, sometimes it's a, a thesis, a full on thesis, yeah, really. Um, like I, I've owned, I think, one of the most uh obvious examples, the most guilty examples is the Tudor Pelagos. Yeah. Which I own. Yeah. And, and I own also. Yes. True. Uh, I will say that, you know, like, um, whenever I get stuck with something, like, let's say I get stuck in a queue. Yeah. And I just got to stand there, right? Yeah. Uh, I like to read what's on the dial. So you spend the next tw- like 20 minutes to half an hour just reading whatever's on the yeah, dial. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will say that in the coming on three years now that I've yeah. owned this the Pelagos. I've made it past the first chapter. So I got a couple okay. more chapters to go. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's a, it's a very interesting book. Yeah. The the Tudor Pelagos. Yeah. 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 But what do you think, think of, of dial essays? Um obviously I would rather not have them. Mm-hmm. As like I th- I think we probably discussed this in a episode in the past. Right. Where like why would you want to put <clears throat> the model of the watch on it? And obviously, it's for the flex. Yep. Brands on it, of course, fair enough. But the model on it is like somewhat yep. redundant. You could just have it on the case back. But mm-hmm. flex, right? Yeah. And but as do you for really need all the specs as well. <laughs> exactly. As as for like, I don't know what superlative 
chronometer, chronometer officially certified. Yeah. Uh, three hundred meters slash mm. um, whatever the fuck that is in feet. Yep. Why? Yeah, I I don't know. Like, but um, I I was gonna say that Rolex and the house of Rolex mm-hmm. because that includes Tudor as well mm-hmm. are particularly bad offenders. They have the most text. Yeah, for sure. Out of all the watches I've seen, they have the most. Like even Omega does not have as much text. Yeah, on no, their just like. Omega Speedmaster Speed Master Professional. Yeah, and at most you get a coaxial yeah. chronometer and then the depth rating. Yeah. Whereas with Rolex, you get like Rolex, Oyster, Perpetual Date, and then uh, chronometer, superlative chronometer, officially certified, yeah. and then this one, which is just so. Oh, oh and, the, um, and the model name as well. So. And yeah. like also, like the modern Daytonas have a massive essay on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. They do. They do. So, yeah. what? There's like, like Oyster, Oyster, Oyster there Perpetual, well. Cosmograph, Daytona, etc. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just goes <laughs> on and on. Uh, I mean, why? But I don't know. It, sometimes I guess it's part of the design language. Is it though? I think that Rolex has been doing it for so long that yes, it is. Like, if you see a wall of text. Yeah. Rolex. I would say to me, oh my God, are we going back to design language again? Um, <laughs> that, that is there. that is more of like a like a from far recognizable trait of design. True. Yeah, but like for example, right? Since we mentioned GLC, uh, yeah. my GLC Master Control literally has mm-hmm. Gilles Lecoultre and then Automatique. Yeah, that's all. There's yeah. nothing else on the dial. My reversal just says reversal. Yeah, exactly. Not even so, And the Omega says Omega Speedmaster Professional. Yeah. Um, my Oris says Oris Aquis, uh, pressure resistant, and then yeah, that that's pretty much it. So my Moser doesn't say anything. Doesn't say anything at all. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, no, you get because it says it best when it says nothing at all. Wow, R- bringing back Ronan Keating into this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh Overall, I will say that I'm not a fan of huge essays on the DAO. Yeah. But I have grown accustomed to it on the Tudor Pelagos. To the point where when I look... You know, they had the old ETA version, right? Yeah, yeah. Them. It actually looks Rotor empty. Rotor self-winding. Yeah. It looks empty to me now. Yeah, which is... Which... Rotor self-winding is so fucking redundant as well. But I think that's a throwback, right? To, to their old watches that had that. So I don't mind <sighs> it particularly. But yeah. It is redundant. But um, I, w- look, I have the left-hand drive version of the Pelagos. Mm-hmm. And I would say because the Pelagos is in red, that breaks up that huge essay. It looks a little bit better. Yeah. A little bit better. Yeah. yeah. I'll agree with that. Not a huge fan of the Fortina, though. I I like the Fortina, honestly. I think I it's a would've... certain charm that it brings. It's a certain part of the design language that brings it a bit of charm. <laughs> Oh, I hate architects. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Okay. Anyway, in, yeah, lieu of, uh, in lieu of having no breaking news this week, mm-hmm. aside from uh, Patek Philippe and 
whatever final production of the 5711, which yeah, which we don't was, care. You were surprisingly, uh, yeah, surprisingly we don't give a shit about. You know, yep. despite being such a huge model in the Patek Philippe we, line, we've given more than enough attention to the 711 collaboration, yeah. so we're yeah. done. We've noticed it. Senpai has noticed the 5711. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in lieu of that breaking news, we want to announce that we actually have 13 listeners now. Yeah, we do. Uh, huge shout out to Thibaut yeah. for getting someone, yeah, uh, one, one of his friends one in Belgium. One extra Belgian guy to listen to us. Yeah, so we have 13 now. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, um, we'll recognize as a lucky number. Yeah. Yeah, which I, I'm sure will bring us good fortune so, in the coming So year. who is Jesus in the story? I don't even want to know. I'm obviously I'm obviously John. <laughs> I I I feel unsuited to being Jesus. Uh I feel much more like a Judas. Alright. Yeah, I think you'd agree with that. Yeah, well. yeah. 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 So We'll, right. we'll leave that be. Uh, it's amongst our 13 listeners anyway. Yeah, so we'll, one of yeah, them we'll is leave, leave, leave you guys up to interpretation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I think we can largely agree that Casey is a, a huge Judas-like character. I will not deny that. Yeah. Yep. So uh, should we move on to our main topic, Casey? Yes. Well, what it, I mean, this, what is, this is actually your this is actually your main topic. So would you like it to... It is. Would you like to introduce that for us, even though I'm kind of hosting in a way. Yeah, uh, you're just a lazy host, so you just pass the buck to me, I guess. Yeah, for your your main section. Fine. Because, so, like, because as as we know, um, you you know everything. Me, yeah. Moi? You know everything. C'est moi. Yeah. Oui. Yeah. True. Fine. I do know. I do know everything. At least, I do know at least comparatively things. to me, who knows nothing. Yes. Um, that's why. That is why. That is why. Like now, you are dropping the knowledge. Well, I'll be dropping the topic, for which I'll be dropping the knowledge, and that is the history of timekeeping. Yes. So, it's it's quite an interesting topic. Uh, it's got a lot of history behind it because obviously oh, really? people have been wanting to keep time for like two thousand time two thousand ish years, right? Um. No. The, the, the world Christ. is. 6,000 years old. So, for about oh. 6,000 years. Oh. Yeah. For as long as okay, humans have cool. been around. Uh, for as long as the world's been around, Since, really. As long as God created the Earth. That's right. That's right. And After the universe. The day. Yeah. So, it's like, if you go back 6,000 years and seven days, then there was no timekeeping yeah. then. But yeah. after that, yes, there was. So, uh, what do you know? Before we begin, you know, like, I, I want to establish a baseline. <laughs> uh-huh. well, what do you know about timekeeping? Um, Since you wear watches without setting them. Um, um, so, so like, back back in the day, people people used to be like, oh, the sun is up, cool, I have to wake up now. And then, oh, the sun's down, okay, I'm asleep now. Yeah, yeah. true. And then after that... Oh, sun's up, daytime. Yeah, and then after oh, that... sun's down, nighttime. Ap- yes, and then after mm-hmm. that, someone built some rocks to, like, tell certain times of the year okay. um and then what, what is this rock thing i don't know the stone something oh okay yeah. right i think i've heard it was of like, that, a, like some... it was like a hinge of stones okay okay yeah. yeah right um and then and then basically after that we had like our apples on our wrists right yeah right. so so that's 
that's the extent of what you know. That's that is the history of watchmaking. Thank you okay. for listening to another episode of Casey and John John. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that was quick. Oh boy. <laughs> this is this is this is going to be a long long episode, isn't it? No, probably in like an hour or so. <laughs> as usual, as per usual. It depends on how much I need to fill you in on, and it seems like there's going to be a lot. Can you like, fill me in? I need to fill you in on Can everything. Can you fill me in? Shut up, Craig. I, I need to fill in I, <laughs> like everything from Stonehenge to the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. You mean that's the, quite... What? You mean there are things in between? There were. No. There were things in between. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, the, there was an egg timer. I know that's an egg timer. There was an egg timer, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even know when that was, though, to be fair. Someone was like, I don't like sand. It's rough and it's coarse and it's irritating. It gets everywhere. So I'm going right. to put this in a jar and time my yes. eggs. Yes. Yeah. That's what, I don't exactly know when what that happened. started, though. Pretty much. It's a I long, think. long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yep. Yeah. So it bringing up um, the, the, what do you call it? Oh God! You you just said it. Hourglasses. Um, there is, what? is egg timers. Right, fine. Egg timers, okay. also known as hourglasses, uh, is a very interesting segue because that's kind of how humanity started timing things with natural processes. So, one of the first <gasps> oh. ones uh, after looking at the sky. Yeah, that helps. I think. The, the, yeah, it does. The next thing I think was sundials. So the first sundials, I don't know where they were, probably ancient, you know, Egypt, Greece, Rome. Um, the, you, know, you, you basically had like a tall stick or stone or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then as the sun moves, it would cast a shadow. And based on the shadow, you tell the time. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I have to wonder is, technically, there's a dial, right? Is there? Yeah, because there's, there's markers to show where the shadow is and what time it equates to. Uh huh. I wonder if anyone bothered writing on those dials. Like Socrates, chronometer, officially certified. But if that's um, using the sun to tell the time, then what about night? You wouldn't be able to tell time. What if you're night? like up at night raving? Right. Yeah. As you do in ancient Greece and Rome. Yeah. As one does. Yeah, because yeah, I like they would have been taking like some serious drugs back then, right? And then For sure. they're like hemlock and then stuff. they're playing some some music and you some know, sick beats. And you're like, oh shit, it's it's three a.m. I better get back to the missus. <laughs> but you're like, fuck, I can't tell whether it's what three a.m. It or not. Yeah. So how would you know? I, how would how would they have known? Uh, when you start hearing your wife grumbling, that's three a.m. It's time Over the sounds of some sick, like... Sick beats, uh, yeah. I want to say Avicii, and that, that goes to show how old that we are. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Sometimes. you would hear some some sick beats. Yeah. Uh, but you would also hear grumbling wives, and then mm-hmm. that's where it'd go from there. But yes, so sandals. Yeah. I don't think there was such a thing as moon dolls, because moons, you know, were not consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, bitches. And from sandals, people started having water clocks uh-huh. where you would have flow of water mm-hmm. helping you to tell the time because the rate at which... I think an interesting one, I think, was ancient Persia, I want to say. 
um, where they actually had like, let's say a huge, like basically a bucket of water. Yeah, because there was a lot of water in Persia. There was, there was. That's how, that's yeah. how they had the hanging gardens of Babylon. Yeah, because of like because the um, water everywhere. What's the, what's the river called? Oh Look. God. South, I want to say it's South. Euphrates? Yeah. Euphrates or? Yeah. I mean, if it's Socrates, it's probably Euphrates, I guess. But I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, uh, they would actually have this huge buckets of water. They'll have a smaller pot of some sort with a small mm -hmm. hole at the bottom. And you would put the pot on top of the bucket of water. And as water filled it, the pot would sink. Yes. And that would be one measure of time. Okay. And you would actually have these dudes who would sit there and every time the pot sinks, they would drop a stone in the jar and then drain the, the, the pot, put it back up and then wait for it to sink again. So, and then, so the, mod the, modern, the modern equivalent of that is like the, the clocks in Swiss railroads where they stop for like two seconds and then shift to... Yeah, which would oh. account for the time where you drain the yeah, water, yeah, exactly. put the stone which, in the Which jar. would have yeah. taken two seconds. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's that's pretty much what it was back in the day. So that was a natural process as well. And then mm -hmm. people eventually moved on to burning stuff. So oh. yeah. Candles. That's that's very that's actually very modern because like we burn a lot of coal now. We do, but yeah. they were burning to candles power, and incense. To power the electricity that charges our Apple watches. Yeah. So that's true. Like so so, so nothing has changed. Circle, you know? Nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Um, and people used to burn candles and then based on how far the candles burned, you could tell time mm -hmm. roughly as well as incense. Yeah. And that was the next one. Yeah. And then I think it was like ages after that before like mechanical clocks actually started. Mm -hmm. And if I remember right, it was something like in the 11th century, mm -hmm. uh, I think some Islamic scholar or scientist was actually the first person to come up with a mechanical clock. Okay. And uh, there was, you know, obviously some trade and stuff between the Middle East back then and Europe. Yep. And eventually Europe, you know, went during the Renaissance and all that, they actually started taking over as far as clock making was concerned. But one interesting thing about these early mechanical clocks was that, you know, they didn't have springs or mainsprings mm -hmm. back then. You couldn't really wind it. So what they would actually have is a weight. Yeah on a pulley and then you would yeah. pull it all the way up and then as the weight slowly comes down that yeah. would uh, you know make that would be the source of energy or torque for the movement of the clock which is also what we have in a lot of grandfather clocks like I I don't know actually I don't know about you growing up like like, like we I remember having Flex. <laughs> we I... were too poor to afford clocks we were just looking at the sun <sighs> Go on. I remember having clocks where you have to like move the, the pulleys and the chains to like power it basically. I, yeah. I do have a grandfather clock at home. Yeah. I actually have one in the, it's in the living room right now. Flex. Uh but it's it's with a spring. You wind it, you put in oh. a key and then you turn okay, it. Okay, cool. So yeah. And I honestly was not aware that there was still weight and pulleys now. Well, this was quite a long time ago. It's been a while since I was a kid, but um, it would it would be slightly longer since I've been a kid, just slightly, just like, ever so slightly, yeah, yeah. So just like maybe one revolve revolution around the sun, 
one revolve around the sun. One, re yeah. one revolvation around the sun. <laughs> um, but uh, actually, going back to this pulley and chain mm -hmm. mechanism thing, so yep. I actually watched a a Vox, a Vox Vox video recently mm -hmm. about lighthouses, right? And the uh, like how they diffuse light. Or mm -hmm. not diffuse, the glass, but, right? Yeah, that the glass have. that they have to like not diffuse, but more of a focused light to extend mm -hmm. its its brightness beam. Yeah, increases brightness and extend its beam. Um, and like back in the day when there was no electricity or like the electricity obviously wasn't power and powerful mm -hmm. enough to like turn the thing, they would use pulley yep. and chains to, oh, actually to like turn the lights. To, okay. Yeah. So it's like super cool. So weight, basically weights and pulleys have been a source of potential energy Yeah. for these sort of mechanisms for a long yeah. time, I guess. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, that's cool. That's cool. I actually didn't know that about. Lighthouses. Yeah, and um, maybe a lot of listeners don't know a lot about that, about lighthouses either. So, True. see, we're being, yo, we've been so educational for the past few we, weeks. We have. We have been on a bit of an educational bend yeah. recently. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you enjoy from... that, if you enjoy us being educational, um, please let mm -hmm. us know. Yeah, um, do. We know like, our... Like Friendy does. Yeah, we, exactly. Our good friend Friendy. Yeah. Our number one fan. Yeah. Who yeah. is definitely not biased because we've named a segment after yeah. him. It's definitely not yeah. that. It's and, just genuine enthusiasm. And, and also, uh, fuck you, La Vincent. Yeah, man. Why do you lose your top spot? Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> so, um, moving on from, you know, weights and pulleys and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the early clocks were using something called the verge escapement. Mm -hmm. So, as I mentioned, this was before springs. So there was no such thing as a balanced yeah. spring or anything like that. So all you had yeah. was basically this sort of like sawtooth gear uh -huh. and a stick with two flaps. Uh -huh. And the two flaps would move as they were pushed by the sawtooth gears. Um, would, you, would you say they would have let out quite a bittersweet symphony? A bit of what? A bittersweet symphony. Uh, at this time, no. I think it would be more of a racket, okay. honestly. Because right. there was a lot of friction. Uh, and overall, these these movements were not yeah. not very accurate. But yeah. they could be made accurate. Especially with, um, you know, yeah. the, the weight, the pulleys and weights yeah. that could exert that torque. But if anyone, if anyone gets the reference, please let me know. Anyway, go on. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> if, if it would not really help uh, with... You know, any sort of mobile timekeeping. Uh -huh. And after that was the invention of the mainspring. Oh. So moving on from pulleys and weights, you had a long coil of metal that yeah. was coiled up. <laughs> yes. Even further than it was before. Mm -hmm. And then you'd get potential energy there, which would release as it's slowly uncoiled. Yeah. And this actually allowed the first pocket watches to be invented. Because you could um, have a portable source of power for your watch. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think you could carry a clock or a watch with a weight and pulley inside. You Wait, hey man, you just got to try. When there's a way, there's a way. I'm pretty sure people did. It just wasn't very practical. Probably not, but... Yeah. But I, 
at this point, like, you know, with this old ancient verge escapement and uh, a, a mainspring, mm-hmm. could you guess how accurate the early pocket watches were? Um... I mean, they were watches, right? So they were there yeah. at the time. So how bad could it be? Fortunately. You probably couldn't hit a donkey's ass with a banjo. It's about right. Yeah. yeah. Um, They were off by a couple of hours per day. Which basically made them useless. So basically, Malaysians are using that law. Pretty much. Yeah. Malaysian time functions on early... <laughs> Verge <laughs> uh, escapement pocket watches and mainsprings. Yes, yes, that that's that's how we function. Yeah. You know, which is why a meeting at, or, or you know, like a podcast that's supposed to start at nine, <laughs> ends up starting at like nine forty-five, uh, when someone reaches home and then has to take a shit, and then, you know, yeah, things happen, I guess. So anyway, and any comments? <laughs> anyway, anyway. Anyway, uh, the, these early watches were really just toys, pretty much, mm. for the rich to just explore. Um, jewelry, basically. The world of... Sorry? Jewelry. Yeah, yeah. To explore the world of craftsmanship and yeah. fine design and intricate mechanisms. Because, honestly, what the fuck is the use of a watch yes. that is off by a couple of yeah. hours per day? Yeah. Like you could set it, let's say you live near a clock tower mm-hmm. and, and the bell rang at yeah. 12 in the afternoon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you set it at 12. Yeah. And then the next day, when it the bell rings again, you check your watch and, oh, it's 9 yes. a.m. Yeah, yeah. Just like, what the fuck? Yeah, but so, well, look look at this, Casey. Look at look at this fine engraving on the back of my watch. What's, what intricate polishing has gone into we, this Work of art. Behold these fine wheels and gears that are turning to tell the time. Indeed. Oh, like how could you how could you not enjoy this? So mechanical. You would have to be some absolutely uncultured swine to not enjoy this art. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we I'm glad we are in agreement. <laughs> yes. And moving on from pocket watches. Uh in I think the early seventeenth century, yeah, um, I think people attributed to Robert Hooke. I think uh, the famous English scientist. Not, uh, not he, nothing. He's, he wasn't a captain, was he? No, no, he was not. Okay. He definitely was not a captain. Not a pirate. He had, he had all his limbs, and he had, he did not have did a he? for birds on his shoulders. No, nor, nor hatred for crocodiles. No. And and speaking of pirate eye patches, do you know why pirates wear eye patches? Feels like a good time for a segue. No. So it's actually very interesting. Um, they would wear eye patches mm-hmm. because sometimes in combat as a pirate, yes. you would go from the outer decks in the sun to below decks where right. it's dark. Right, right, right. And when you're below decks, the pirate would just remove his iPad and boom, instant night vision. Yeah. Yeah. So that was actually apparently one of the reasons why pirates wore eye patches for night vision. Cool. Yeah. Very, very 
I, I guess while the other English sailors who were using both their eyes were like, oh, I can't see. It's too, it's too dark. My eyes are still adjusting to the darkness. And then the pirate would just be like, I, no, You merely adopted the darkness. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was much. born in it. Really? My, at least one Bored of my eyes was born. It. One of my eyes was born in the darkness. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's a bit of a segue. But um, Robert Hooke invented the balance spring. Mm-hmm. And the balance spring was, you know, obviously just one of the biggest inventions as far as watches and clocks are concerned. And it made uh, pocket watches mm-hmm. go from having an accuracy of a couple of hours a day to just a couple of minutes per day. Cool. Because it provided something called isochronism, which basically means which that... Which in English is? It is able to keep time hmm. despite external forces Ooh. as well as um, differences in power reserve. Yeah. So whether okay. or not torque is high, whether the mainspring is fully wound or nearly empty, mm-hmm. it would help to keep time better regardless of what other escapement you used because you had the balance spring. Um, And then this brings us really to the meat of the issue, which is, I think, something you're familiar with as well. Uh, The marine chronometer and the longitude problem. Okay. Are you... What what is a marine chronometer, John? So it's a... What from Brigade? <laughs> it's a, well as Stova. I assume it's a it's a it's a timekeeping device that you use on the open seas when you when you want to go and colonize some um, savage lands. Yes. Yeah. And so basically, I think this was, I think, mid eighteenth century. I think um, people were sailing all over the world. Um, you had ships, you had supplies, you had the men, yeah. and you could tell latitude based on, oh, I can't remember what it was. I think like by navigating via the stars as well as uh, the sun, I think, the position of the sun, mm-hmm. you could sort of tell your latitude, but yeah. you couldn't tell your longitude. Yeah. And because to tell longitude, you need to be able to tell precisely what time it is and then also gauge the position of the sun. Like you'd have to correlate those two factors yeah. to tell what the longitude is. And, you know, on, on a ship, you have roiling waves upon the open seas. And obviously, the most accurate clocks of the time were like pendulum clocks. Yeah. And a pendulum clock is just fucking worthless if it's mounted on anything that's moving. Yeah. So they needed a clock or a watch or any timekeeping device that would be able to tell time on, uh, what do you call it? On, on the open seas, yeah. on a boat, on a ship. It was mounted on a gyroscope, I believe. Was it? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think they even knew what a gyroscope was at the time. We'll do some further research in a future episode. We, we shall. Yeah. We shall. Or, or, or at least we should have, but... Yeah. So, so I, uh, I actually there, there's this actually wonderful book called Longitude, um, and the writer is Dave Sobel, 
and mm-hmm. it's it's a great book that that reiterates the history of uh, longitude and the, the challenges involved, as well as the whole history behind it. And basically, this is a, a short summary of it is that um, England, as well as a couple of other countries, but England's the main one here. Of course, uh, they they were try- of course they were trying to explore the world as well as conquer it while they were exploring. And they needed something to tell the time. And so they issued what they called the Longitude Challenge. Uh, for anyone to be able to make a watch or a clock or any sort of timekeeping device that would be able to tell time on the open oceans up to a certain point of accuracy, mm-hmm. which I think, I can't remember, but it was something like a couple of seconds per day. Cool. That was considered acceptable at the time. I mean... and. It's still pretty acceptable now. It it is. Uh, if I remember right, they they didn't count it by how many seconds per day. Yeah. But they would count it by how accurately you could assess your position. So it was like how many degrees yeah. of longitude, uh, per hundred days or something like that. I, I I can't remember the exact criteria. So this gentleman named John Harrison, who was voted the thirty ninth greatest Briton of all time. Who was the first? Uh, I actually don't know. Is it not the Queen? <laughs> I I think it'd be a historical figure, so probably not. So the Queen? But not the current Queen, at least. Maybe Churchill could have been first. Certainly not Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably not. And, you know, definitely not <laughs> Theresa May. But uh, <laughs> Boris. <laughs> no, but uh, John John Harrison was actually a woodworker and a carpenter who also made clocks, and mm-hmm. he took up this challenge. And he spent something like 40-plus years of his life mm-hmm. making these machines. These uh, I think they were called the H1 N1? up to the H4. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no N1 there. It was like horological machine number one. So like... MBNF. MBNF. Yeah, pretty much. But except he didn't include the M, so it's just H1. Right. But uh yeah, he would he would make these clocks or watches. And if I remember right, the price was something like twenty thousand mm-hmm. pounds, which is equivalent to something like two million pounds today. Mm-hmm. So it was a big deal that the government really wanted mm-hmm. to do. And I think he spent like 40 years of his life before he finally made one. And when it it it, it was made, it was successful, it passed the test. And then this this douchebag who was in charge of the longitude board um actually told um John Harrison that, "Oh no, your your I don't think your clock is that accurate." Mm-hmm. Uh I think it's actually because you have a couple of errors that are canceling each other out. That's why it looks so accurate, but actually it's not. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to give you the prize. Even though you, you're you like 80 years old now, mm-hmm. we're not going to give you the prize. Because he legitimately was working until he was like 80 yeah. to get this done. And he actually went to meet the king to plead his case. And then the king was like, yo, bro, what the fuck? Yeah. Like they're not giving you That's the money? Like what the fuck? That's like incredibly kingly cool. language. Yeah. yeah. The king was just like, yo, this looks fucking cool. Like, this watch looks great. Like, dope, why aren't they man. paying you? This is dope. This is shit. And he, he went to the board and then he sound them. 
like, hey, what the fuck you all doing, lah, bro? Yeah. And then they're like, okay, 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 fine. Like, we'll we'll give you the money. He went to um, the king of, well, I guess Malaya at the time. <laughs> pretty, the pretty sol- Sultan of Malaya. Hey, yeah. bro. Hey. hey, bro. What the hey, fuck? Hey, this damn And uh, eventually, like he he convinced, like he didn't convince the boy. Yeah. He, he basically instructed the boy, yeah. like, give this fucker his money. Yeah. And then John Harrison got his two million pounds mm. equivalent, mm-hmm. and then he died two years later. But so basically, so, basically, what we're trying to say in this segment is, mm-hmm. Tebow, if you're listening, mm-hmm. you should have gone into woodworking. Yeah, it would have you should have gone better... woodworking first, and then started making timekeeping devices, and then you could win two million pounds. Yeah, when you're like eighty. Yeah. Who Which wouldn't is... want to win two million pounds when they're eighty years old? It sounds like a good way to go out, man. Yeah, I mean, you invested into like an ETF, ideally something that pays good dividends, mm-hmm. and live your the rest of your life in comfort. The rest of your two years, in yeah, comfort. just banging your way through nursing homes. The, I I will say that if you you do get two million pounds when you're eighty mm-hmm. and you have two years left to live, mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna say fuck saving, just spend a million pounds a year and then die. Banging your way through nursing homes. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So that that's a bit of life advice for any of our listeners who are about to go to nursing homes, um, <laughs> and and, and, and have and have two and million, have two million pounds. pounds in assets, in go for dividend it. paying assets. Go for it. Yeah. Don't don't even waste your time. Yeah. So not so, not just financial advice, but life advice. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on. Yeah, John John Harrison made this and. If I'm not mistaken, no relation to George Harrison, but uh, or John John with, Harrison. No, no, no relation there either. Uh, and with this invention, Britain conquered the world. This was the beginning of the rise of the British Empire. Yeah, which led to like so much worldwide harmony. Yes. Yeah. So much, and and, but it really was mind bending though. You you could think of this as basically the 18th century equivalent of GPS, because mm-hmm. everyone else, yeah, was out on the ocean, yeah, and they were just like, oh, um, I think we're here, yeah, I think we're in India, yeah, and then you know, like, like oh, I'm actually land. in the Dominican Republic, yeah. And then be yeah. like the first people he sees, like, oh, this this is India. I'm sure yeah. this is India. So you're Indians, yes. And then you know, um, genocide ensues. So, yeah, yeah, it it was definitely a huge leg up for Britain, and that is why um, mm-hmm. Britain managed to have the empire that it has. Yeah, as as opposed or had as opposed to like, oh, I know this is India, and yeah. genocide shall ensue. Yes. Yeah. And uh, though to be fair, Christopher Columbus was working with the Spanish. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But uh. Yeah, with with if he actually had a chronometer at the time, a marine chronometer, yeah. he definitely would not have ended up in America thinking that he was in India. Yeah, because he would know what his longitude was. Yeah. Um, a very interesting thing though is, uh, have you heard of the saying, "The sun never sets on the British Empire"? Yes. Do you know that's technically a true statement? Yes. Yeah. So, there there was something I read recently. Uh. Because, you know, 
England, Britain has all these colonies all over the place, yeah. and they still and have they still territories do. that yes. they hold, which is why the sun never sets. It's always daytime. Also, somewhere France in the actually. Oh really? Yes. They have enough that the sun never sets. They never had that kind of quote, but they do have. Yeah, they do have they territories do have lot, that I know, yeah. but I think it's yeah. only Britain that has uh, like enough literally... territories that the sun literally never sets on the British Empire. And um, an interesting interesting quote I read, because um, I've been reading about the whole um, independence of India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. Yeah. And at one point, uh, one of the Indian nationalists actually said that the sun never sets on the British Empire because even God doesn't trust the English in the dark. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty deep. Pretty deep. <laughs> and yeah, so... Shout that, out to all that, our British listeners. Hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No and hard let feelings, us, man. Let, let Marshall know what you think about that. Yeah. He who, stu- and, he who also studied in, the, in Britain... Mm-hmm. He did. So he's well versed in this. And yes, yeah, so with this invention that helped Britain conquer the world, or, or most of it actually, uh, we can finally move on to the lever escapement, which was actually a later invention that is what we see in our watches today mm-hmm. with the pallet fork and escape wheel connected to the balance spring. That is actually what we have used in the vast majority of watches yeah. today you know excluding um the coaxial escapement yeah. that was invented by george daniels and the, the new dual pulse escapement that's been made by grand seiko as well as a couple of very rare like constant force escapements by the likes of uh i want to say Ulysse nadon right they made the constant force one i think with that silicon blade that snaps back and forth i think but i'm not sure um i know zenith did something like that no zenith did the, zenith full, did the, like the whole the defy yeah. Right? yeah they did the whole vibrating yeah. um silicon that, thing, that is a fucking cool movement it is but so is but the we, we're, we're, we're jumping we're jumping way ahead at this point we are we are uh and then the lever escapement obviously yeah. brought in a lot of um improvements in accuracy mm-hmm. because it was a lot more precise it was a lot less dependent on torque um, it was also less uh, susceptible to shocks and gravity and stuff like that yeah. so that was big and then along came Breguet and Breguet had Breguet he had two huge inventions oui. um, one was the Tubillon we. Oui which was to further neutralize all the effects of gravity oui. on, at the time, what were pocket watches. We, oui. And also the Vraguet overcoil. We, oui. Which was basically just a method of um, arranging the hairspring to provide even more isochronism than before. We, oui. And all this brings us up to the final chapter of this podcast at least uh i think this one's yours john you you can tell us that you know this one me yeah you know the story better than i do do i even though this is our dong seng's favorite story but you know this well i don't know um some dude who wanted to fly was like yo 
I need some a, Brazilian French dude. Yeah, some yeah. Who coincidentally had a Brazilian French name. Yeah. Santos <laughs> Dumont. Yes. And he was like, yo, I need to fly this plane, man, and I can't keep taking my Time. hands off the control stick. Or well, probably not a joystick at that point. Um, Let's just call it controls. We don't know what they use. St- steering wheel. Right. Yoke. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. To uh, check the time. So, mm-hmm. um, like, make me a time-telling device that I can strap to somewhere convenient that I can just, like, look at it and it will tell me the time. And then mm-hmm. it was like, yo, Cartier. Because I happen to know yeah. friend, right? He's like, hey, Louis. Yeah. Yo. Sup, hey, sup, bro. Sup, Louis. I need something that I can tell the time with without, you know, all, all of this inconvenience. And Louis was like, okay. Okay. I will make a watch Sa- for okay, you. Okay, Santos. I will make something incredible. That's something for that you. something that the world would have seen before. Yes. <laughs> and then... And- I like how Santos Dumont sounds like a... Um, basically sounds like Ali G. <laughs> like, yo, what up, Buyakasha? What up, my man? Big up. Big, Big up, up your buddy. Big up, my man, Louis. <laughs> Can I get a watch that I could put on a body part? I, 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 need, I needed to fly from the east side back to my west side. Everyone knows that West Side is the best. <laughs> and then anyway. Louis is like, oh, we oui, we oui, I will make the watch for you. But anyway. So, huge cultural difference. It's very interesting that they were friends. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah from literally across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that was how the wristwatch came to be. Yeah. Not, so not, think... not like when it became popular, but when... Oh, when when the concept of like, oh, we can actually strap this time telling device to our wrist, and it can okay, be an accessory so is, of importance. There, there is a little bit of dispute about that, because apparently there have been times where people wore um, pocket watches by making makeshift straps and stuff. Yeah, but that was to more fit pocket watches on their wrist. Was that not a bit later? Oh, no, actually, it was actually, actually no, earlier, a bit, a bit before. But then the thing yeah. is. This that's was right, the first right. purpose-made yeah. wristwatch. And it was, o- so it was like, only after the Great War. Yeah. Where... The, they became more common. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I I think like in the Boer War or whatever it was called. Um, I don't know it because it's boring. Get it? <laughs> but um, they actually... The, the soldiers would strap... Um, Pocket watches yeah. with various devices. I, I'm guessing stuff yeah. that look like buttons, if yeah. I had to guess, onto their wrist uh, in order to tell the time without pulling out a pocket watch. Yeah. And yeah, so th- those were technically watches worn on the wrist, yes. but they were not purpose-made yeah. in the way that the Cartier was. So yeah. Cartier technically lays claim to inventing the first purpose-made wristwatch. Yeah. And I guess is, and I guess from there we can just like speed on through all the, the years because <laughs> Yes. Right? Cuz yeah. I don't think anything else happened that mattered. No. In between like no, I think no, the early no, 1900s, yeah. right? Yeah. 
or like you know battery powered watches those aren't uh, those aren't those aren't a big thing no one really cares about them yeah who who cares about quotes <coughs> and yeah. and anyway <clears throat> as as a full circle mm-hmm. you know some people wear watches these days right as mm-hmm. because especially as as guys Right. Um, there are not many accessories that are, I would say, societally acceptable, acceptable. for men to wear. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and yes, there are there are male jewelry now. You know. Yeah. You know, guys wear necklaces, earrings, rings, and all that kind of mm-hmm. shit as well. But like True. the and conventionally, and, yeah, and bracelets even. But conventionally. Mm-hmm. Um, still as like a status piece or main accessory and sometimes tool mm-hmm. it's always a watch yep but and um, um and and some people like to point out about other interesting people um mm-hmm. you know some people just don't like to set the time on their yeah. watches yeah. and it's just and a then, bracelet and then that's when it goes back to like oh my dear casey check out the finishing on this on this wristwatch that I'm wearing. And how great. Look look at its condova. Look at the condovage and the uh, bellage on but my on friend, its the watch <laughs> the watch says it's it's nine PM. It is twelve in the afternoon. But my friend Casey, nobody gives a <laughs> shit about what the time your watch is telling because it's obviously not as accurate as my Apple Watch. In other words, from the early like 16th or 15th century, when the first pocket watches came about and they were used purely as accessories and status symbols, there have been five centuries of six? scientific... Five or six? Early 1500s. So, six. yeah, I mean, we're entering the sixth century of work and advancement and, and, and research and just blood and sweat and tears in order to improve them as jewelry and status symbols and trinkets, we've come full circle in 500, 600 years. Yeah. And on that depressing note. (laughs) On that incredible bombshell. Yeah. It's time to end the podcast. And... We may be taking a break next week, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, It looks like the fates do not allow for us to have time. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. If not, we'll see you. Also, we've been toiling for the past... Many weeks. We've been doing this podcast for six months plus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we've only taken one week. And we've only taken one week off. Like, you know... I know we most of us it. are most of us are slaves to capitalism here, but like even you can, uh, um, you can you can accept that we probably can be allowed to take a week off. Yeah, technically, a, I, technically a day because it only takes like a couple of hours to record. Yeah, but it takes so much time to plan these episodes. Before yeah, yeah, so much time, just like maybe one or two hours beforehand. Yeah, I mean, so much stress. Yeah, but hopefully our listeners forgive us. Uh, do I have a feeling we'll drop back? down to 12 yeah but we'll see 
um, either way, we do have a very exciting episode coming up. We do. Either in two weeks. I mean, in two weeks, basically. Yes. Um, yeah. So there'll be a very interesting one. I mean, one. we you'll always have exciting episodes out. coming up. But this will be a very nice one, I think. I'm very They're excited all... about this coming episode. Yeah. In particular. Yes. Yeah. And you'll see why when two weeks comes about. Yes. So hopefully your chronometers can tell time long enough for you to know when two weeks have passed. Or alternatively, you can have an Apple Watch and just set the reminder. Or iPhone or Android. Yeah. I prefer Android because fuck Apple. Oh. Also sponsors Apple. Thank you. And that's that's why I would always shoot for the uh, Moser. Apple Watch. Yes. Yeah. The Moser Alps. Yes, the Swiss Alps. Yeah. So, on that note, it's time to end the podcast. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, probably. So, bye! Thank you for listening to the Casey and John John Show. The Casey and John John Show may cause abdominal discomfort, flatulence, reduced sex drive, and alcohol dependence. The Casey and John John Show is approved by one out of ten doctors. Casey and John John do not take any responsibility for any side effects experienced from listening to their podcast.